Welcome, everyone, to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 24 of the 2021 podcast series, taking a look at the draft-eligible prospects and getting you ready for the NFL draft set to begin April 29th. And this is actually the second installment of the From a Fan's Perspective segment. This is where I sit down with you, the fans, and we talk free agency and the draft for your favorite NFL franchises. We'll also take a look at your favorite college teams and which players are coming off the board when. This week, I sit down with Steve Jackson, a huge Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. So we talk free agency and the draft related to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Steve Jackson, huge Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan. Okay, this week from a fan's perspective, I have Steve Jackson with me. Steve Jackson's a huge Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Wanted to break down everything Tampa Bay. Super Bowl champs, first and foremost, Steve, got to congratulate you on the Super Bowl win. And uh, tell me about, about you as a, as a Tampa Bay fan. How'd you get in, involved with, with Tampa Bay? Why are they your team? All right. <clears throat> um, first off, thanks, Greg. Uh, just hearing Tampa Bay Super Bowl champions is still weird to me. <laughs> um, you know, you know me personally, so you know the struggle that I've dealt with uh, being a fan. And when I say being a fan, I'm not just the guy that gets Sunday ticket and watches the game from my house every week. I literally went to one to two games a year in Tampa, paid top dollar and more times than none set in disappointment uh, as the team lost. But I actually became a Tampa Bay fan and I'm, I'm originally from Oklahoma city. So, you know, we didn't have a football team. It was pretty much either you adopt the Dallas Cowboys or you, you figure it out. But for me, it really all started in 97. I was um, watching, I don't know if it was, is the, the HBO special inside the NFL? Is, is that what it is? Hard knocks uh, or no, no, not, not hard knocks, hard, not hard knocks. The one where they actually, uh, yeah. Like oh, yeah. I think, it is, I think it was inside the NFL. Yeah, inside the NFL. Right. But um, I actually saw one of the specials and they showed the highlights of Hardy Nickerson and Warren Sapp. And Hardy Nickerson was the most energetic dude I had ever seen in my life at that time. He was going crazy. He was hitting people. And I said, I don't have an NFL team. I like that dude. I hate their uniforms. They're orange or creamsicle. But I love this dude. And. Next thing you know, I just started following the team <clears throat> whenever we would play our video games. This is back in the PlayStation 1 days. I mean, NFL uh, game day. Going way back, day. yeah. <laughs> way back, right? So they were my team on NFL game day, uh, NFL streets, whatever you had. I, I just – I was enamored with the Buccaneers. So I just started following them in real life. Um, I've, I've died with this team, and I've lived with them, you know, going on almost 30 years now. So definitely a fan. First, first thoughts when uh, TB12 came came knocking, came calling to, to Tampa. I'll be completely honest with you. I wasn't surprised that they went that direction from a front office standpoint. I knew that the direction that we had to shift in after, you know, the whole Jameis era, I knew they were going to look for culture. They were going to look for a vet at quarterback. Um, I I don't think Jason Light, uh, he's had a lot of draft success and he's had a lot of draft mishaps. We're not going to talk about Roberto Aguayo, but (laughs) Jason Light, I think he knew that his job was pretty much on the line. And I don't think that he was going to be comfortable replacing Jameis with a rookie to say, okay, I'm going to put this roster that I've constructed with 
a bunch of dogs, to be honest with you. Like, he put together an awesome roster, Greg, and he said, we're going to add culture. We're going to add a veteran quarterback, somebody that knows how to win. I didn't honestly expect it to be Brady. I'm going to be honest. I thought it was going to be Rivers or, you know, someone else that was going to have a control presence in the pocket. But when we got Tom Brady, I said, this is crazy to me. I wasn't expecting it to be him. But if you are going to take a winning culture, if you're going to go for that and you're going to go for a quarterback that knows what they're doing, he's like 1A at the top of the list. So I am thankful that he chose us. And that's all I have to say about that. Like, <laughs> you can be the best GM in the league, but at the end of the day, the guy has to choose your team. And, and I think the thing that's, that's <laughs> remarkable about him is you, you watch guys follow him. I mean, you know, Gronk wouldn't play for anybody else. So there's Gronk, and now Gronk's talking about, you know, let's run it back. You know, you look at Antonio Brown, and so many misses with Antonio Brown, and then he comes to Tampa. You know, I mean, obviously he had that first go-around with, with the Patriots. It didn't work out, but I think he understood. You know, Tom got in his ear, hey, this is kind of your last last shot in the NFL, and things worked out there with, with, with Brown. You know, Sue seemed to be like he was on his best behavior with, with, with Tom Brady. That hardly ever happens there's usually one mishap with him one misstep it just seemed like everybody along the way was following this guy and you're kind of even seeing that now with free agency you know obviously you know we're looking at that who are they going to franchise you know they franchised Shaq Barrett last year um franchising you know you had to play the numbers game and franchising Chris Godwin I think makes a lot of sense get him in. He's kind of your one, one B to Mike, Mike Evans, one A or vice versa. Got to get that, that other receiver in there. And then Levante David, man, the heart and soul of your defense. You know, if Tom Brady's not there, I wonder if Levante doesn't decide he's going to go elsewhere just to, you know, get paid, get the, you know, follow that path. And then you look at Shaq Barrett, he could potentially get more money going somewhere else. And he wants to stay as well. And I think they do get that long-term deal, uh, made so it's one of those things to where a lot of these free agents, you know, uh, free agency moves. Tampa doesn't really have to do a whole lot. Let's just run it back. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, what do you see that from a fan standpoint? What what is it that's bringing these guys back? That's all Brady, Greg, um, and you, you hit it right on on the head. I, I think he's he's that type of guy. He's he's equivalent to what LeBron is in the NBA, right? Where you have the winning culture. You have a guy that's been there. You know when the game is on the line, the stage is not too big for this guy. This is this is his norm, you know? LeBron is used to being in the finals every year. Tom Brady is used to being in the Super Bowl every year. You get in that moment, I feel more comfortable going to war with the general that has seven wins or seven, seven rings in his collection than I do going into it with a guy that's never been there before. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I think that he's the type of person where guys, if they've already established their careers and have already gotten paid, they will come and pay, play with us for free. You know, um, I think even after the week after we won the Super Bowl, I think I saw something where Adrian Peterson has said, Hey, you know, if you guys need help, I'll come down there, you know, and, and, and I, I totally get it. If I've made my money, then I'm okay. And, and you go back to Shaq, I'll say this. One, I'll say, Chris Godwin, I understood why they had to franchise him. They don't want to lose the guy. Like drafted him. He loves him. And we 
we as fans know what he brings to the table, even if the outside world will look at him and say he's the one B to Mike Evans one A. He's actually our most important receiver because the things that he does on the field, Greg, allows Mike to be who he is, to be, that to deep be Mike. Threat. Yeah. Right. Because Chris Godwin does everything from lining up in the slot, you know, going one on one, blocking. He does everything. So for us to lose that, it changes things because the things that Chris does, AB can't do. Right. The things that Chris does, Mike can't do. So you keep him in place to keep all the weapons running on all cylinders, right? You go to Shaq, I'll say this. With Shaq, I get it. He had nothing, Greg. He came into the league undrafted. He has not had a long-term deal. He said, as soon as we won the Super Bowl, this is all cute, but I have to get paid. And the decisions that Tom has made as far as, you know, restructuring his contract, doing all of that, that's all for Shaq. Everything that we're doing right now, franchising Chris, we have to create that money to, to feed this beast and say, hey, we need you here. We understand you're going to get paid, and we have to put ourselves in position to be competitive with the other teams that are going to come and throw the bank at them. So, yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. I think that's what it is, man. It's all Tom. Um, you know, guys will come in. It'll be very interesting. We'll talk about the draft, Greg. I know you got questions about that, but it'll be very interesting if they bring most of the guys back. Who are going to be the mercenaries, the veterans that are going to come in and say, hey, I want to win and I'm willing to come in and play for free because we're going to lose some guys. So you're going to have those mercenaries come in and, and try to replace them. And I think that's what's going to be interesting as we look at this. And I, I think understanding some of the free agent play that's usually we can sit there and prognosticate on what's going to happen with the draft all we want. But a lot of that comes into free agency with who's going to stay, who's leaving. And then also looking at, you know, from a cap standpoint, there are some guys on the roster that I could potentially see getting cut due to, you know, the, the, for cap saving reasons as well, cost cutting measures to be able to, to pay other guys. So, you know, I think as we get into that, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, but I think, when you look at last year's draft, just real quickly, um, I, I think those first two picks couldn't have gone any better for for, for Jason Lydon and, and Bruce Arians. I think getting Tristan Wirfs and you and I, we talked before the draft and even during the draft, and I thought there was no way Tristan Wirfs will be available. I actually had him going to the Bucks at one point, and the more I watched him play – and then the combine, everything else. I'm like, this guy is the best tackle in the draft. There's no way he should be on the board. He falls to you. And then in round two, you're asking me, who's this Antoine Winfield dude? And I'm like, just wait, this dude's a player. And I mean, both of those guys, have you seen a draft from the Bucks in recent memory where those first two have hit quite like that? I'd have to, I'd have to go back and look at it. I know we've had some pretty impressive drafts, Greg. Um, but it's been a while. Know. Yeah, it, it, it has. Like, if you think about it, uh, you know, we drafted Mike, Ali Marpet, uh, guys like Donovan Smith, who you know I'm not too high on right now. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about De- him. Yeah, yeah, Devin White. I mean, these are the past drafts we've had. Um, so so we've, we've had some pretty good ones. Even when the, I think the draft with Vea, we drafted him. And if I'm not mistaken, someone after that uh, – but, but maybe the O.J. Howard, I, I just have to think of, of the two that we may have gotten in the first round like that. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he traded up um, to get Winfield in the second round. I think You're he had right. to trade up. Yeah, but but no, he, he hit it on both of them, man. It was so crazy. But to be, you know, even think about 
uh, a guy like Tyler Johnson and fifth round pick number 161, you know, he hit it on all cylinders with this draft, man. Even our running back. Um, yeah, Keyshawn Keyshawn Vaughn. Vaughn. it was impressive. It was impressive, but, uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be, see, it'll be interesting to see how it follows up on this one. What it's going to be is just depth. That's all we need now. Um, it's just going to be the rich getting richer, man. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit now about th- this off season and really kind of what we see really happening with, with, with this draft and as, as things unfold, one of the, the areas that I, obviously we're going to talk offensive line, you know, Donovan Smith, look, he's in the last year of his deal, 14 point, I think two, 5 million uh, against the cap. We know that he's been a guy that's really kind of had that rocky road. I think, you know, 2020 might have been one of his better seasons, to be perfectly honest with you. But, um, you know, you have him and then you also have Ryan Jensen at center over nine million there against the cap. And he's been okay, um, but he hasn't been a guy that's been earth shattering to where do we really want to spend nine million on a guy who's just an average, average center? Do you see those guys sticking around? Do you see them, either of them being cap casualties? Because I think if we see either of those guys move on that ultimately accelerates the need for either a tackle or, or a center. And I'm not sure that we're, there are a couple of centers that are out there in free agency that they could go after. But um, I think those are two that we could potentially see pop off in, uh, you know, in the draft at some point. Um, All right. So I'll say this, we can never underestimate the importance of consistency, especially when we talk about quarterbacks and their offensive lines. Tom, I believe, had the same offensive line in New England um, consistently. It wasn't just bringing guys in one year, one out. Like, he would have that same line, and then maybe guys would get old and fade out, and you had to bring in their replacements. I think if we would not have won the Super Bowl, we would have saw maybe a Donovan Smith replacement. That would have been something that we would have looked at. If Tom would have got hit too many times this season, uh, at, at the end of the, earlier in the season, he did get hit, but towards the end of the season, last five, six games, they couldn't touch him. So I think if we, we if we hadn't won, you would have saw something drastic happen there. But right now, what I'll say is I think Smith and both Jensen will come back for their final years. Both of them are free agents next year. Right. So what you do is, and it's number one on, on, on my draft board, is you do go O-line in the first round and, and address it because you need that depth there. Because not only you have the free agency situations with Donovan Smith and Ryan Jensen and also Donovan Smith not being consistent and being a little lazy. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's not a personal attack on Donovan Smith. I'm just looking at it from a fan standpoint of what I see every Sunday. Right. We also have a guy like Alex Kappa who's had health issues the last couple of years. So you might want to look at left tackle center, even a, another guard that can come in when Ali Marpet got hurt this season, Greg, and was out, Sack, uh, uh, Tom got sacked way more than I've ever seen him. And I, I think I saw something where Worf's um, only allowed one sack towards the end of the year and Marpet, you know, you couldn't get in the interior. So what you have to do is just, for me, I feel like we have, what, like six draft picks. Out of that, I take at least three old linemen because you have to create that, that depth at that position, especially when your quarterback is the most important guy on the field and you know if he can stay healthy and you give him five seconds in that pocket, it's over. And there's, there's some depth at the offensive tackle position in, in this year's draft. You know, and I've got five, potentially six that could come off the board uh, in round number one. And it's, it's really going to be one of those things. 
to where who's who's available and do they want to go ahead and pull the trigger there in round one. And so like a guy like Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, a guy that plays both left and right tackle, big physical guy, you know, you could potentially line him up there at, at left tackle, but I think he's going to be off the board. So really you're getting into these guys to where you know maybe Tampa even looks at trading back um, because you're looking at, okay, Dylan Radins out of North, North Dakota State. Uh, Liam Eichenberg out of uh, out of Notre Dame. Those are two guys, you know, even Samuel Cosme out of Texas. Three guys that I think of that could all be left tackles, but do I take them with the number 32 overall pick? And that's where I'm, I'm from a value standpoint versus just that straight need. Do you see them potentially reaching for a guy that really should be a second round pick, but I'm going to go ahead and take him in round one just because that's ultimately my biggest need. So, I'll say this. Um, it really depends on who's left on our draft board when we get to 32. If it's getting down to 32 and your top O linemen have already been taken or you didn't trade up to get them, you have two choices. One, do we look at another position of need and the best available player? Or two, to your point, do we trade down and try to get as many picks as we can to build up our depth? Right. So I think second on my list of, of our, our needs um, at this point would be the D-line as far as depth. We need to have depth because right now you got Sue, Steve McClendon, and Raheem Nunez Roches, who we affectionately call Nacho. Um, all three of them are going to be free agents this year, and I don't believe we keep all three. We'll be lucky if we can keep Sue. If we, if we, and that, that's what I mean by mercenaries. If we lose somebody like Sue, there's going to be a guy out there that says, hey, you know, I'm a former pro bowler. I don't know if you guys need help. But let me let me get in here. Um, not not, not I, to mention not not to not to interrupt, but not not to mention uh, William Golston is going to be in the final year of his deal as well. So that's exactly. another guy that you could potentially see down the road moving on. You know, potentially getting paid elsewhere. Exactly. So if I'm GM, I have a, a draft board, and if I'm in pick 32, I say, okay, who's the best player here? Is the best player offensive lineman or a D lineman? And I draft based off that. Okay. If if they're about even or all around the board, let me get as many picks as possible. So I could take both and then, and then move, move on from there. Okay. So the, the guy that I'm looking at for, for Tampa at 32, um, and I think there are a couple of different directions that they, they could go with this, but I'm, I'm looking at a guy like, like Carlos uh, Boogie Basham. So with, with the nicknames Boogie, uh, he's 6'4", 285. They're out, out of Wake Forest. This is a guy, um, you know, from a, you know, 19 and a half sacks, 35 and a half tackles for loss in, in the last three seasons. And he's a guy that's primarily been, you know, a, a 43 DN, but I think he can play five technique. He actually has the, the size and strength to be able to do that. This guy's a physical freak, in my opinion. You know, a guy that can bend coming off the edge, the explosiveness, look, 36 and a half inch vertical leap, and then uh, bench press over 400 pounds, squats over 700. So you know that the guy has power to him as well. And when I first watched him play as a junior, uh, when he was really making making strides, I, I saw him and I said, this guy's another AJ Epinesa. But, you know, the, the explosiveness, you, you, you continually, not only just the power, but he was beating guys with speed. He was bending coming off the edge. He's a guy to me that that relentlessness too, that that nonstop motor. I think he fits in really well with what what Todd Bowles is going to want to do too. You know, Levante David, uh, Shaq Barrett, JPP, you know, behind him, cleaning up, making plays. And and look, you know, if you know, you can get creative with a lot of blitzes and everything. And if you got one on one against Boogie Basham, 
know, this is a guy that's going to pick you apart. He's going to, you know, use those inside moves, loves to use his hands, uh, a lot of secondary moves. To me, I look at, at it, and if those top offensive linemen are off the board and he's sitting there at 32, I think that might be your play. Yeah, and, and you know, you just have to keep in mind that anybody we drafted that position, depending on who they bring back in free agency, is coming off the bench. Right. Um, so unless we lose a sewer with anybody like that, I, I have to think about that and say, okay, he, he might be a great understudy. He might be somebody that can come in and help now, but then I have to weigh that to say, okay, does he make sense or do I, is he going to be there if I trade this pick, you know, is, is, is his, is his, uh, equal or somebody he's comparable to going to be there if I trade this pick and get two more in the second round. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see where light goes, but I'm just going to say, these are rich people problems, you know, <laughs> it's true. and, and, and it's, it's so crazy for me to say that because I'm so used to picking earlier in the first round every year. Um, but yeah, right Devin now, White was number five. I'm telling you. So for me, it's, it's crazy to, to, to really look at this thing, but I also say this too. I believe they have to build their depth around the secondary as well. We have Carlton Davis on the last year of his contract and yep. he's, he's supposed to be, and I'm going to put this in quotations. He's supposed to be our top wide receiver stopper. He's supposed to be the guy that's guarding the top guys. And we saw what happened when Tyreek Hill played him the first time. Like, I've never seen a man so distraught on the bench, a grown man, an NFL player on, on the bench, like with his head in his hands than I did at that moment. And I've seen him get burnt too many times this season. So I think that you also have to start looking at maybe second, third round, building the secondary um, upgrading what we eventually call the grave diggers. That's our secondary. Um, like it. You, yeah, you got a couple of nice pieces back there, but I, I think you need to have that healthy competition going into camp. So I'm, I'm glad you said that too, because I'm looking at my, my second round pick. And so I actually have them taking a corner in, in round two. So I've got defensive end and corner. And, you know, looking at it, like you said, you know, you've got Carlton Davis had a solid season, but, you know, he struggled uh, against some of the quicker receivers. You know, Jordan Whitehead started to step up down the stretch. Obviously, we know Antoine Winfield's a stud. Uh, Sean Murphy bunting, you know, the the three interceptions in the playoffs as as the nickel. But I I think where you could potentially get, you know, an upgrade possibly as well opposite Davis is – another corner on the outside, you know, physical guy, you know, Jamel Dean, you know, had his ups and downs as well. And I'm looking at, you know, you're talking about Oklahoma. Um, I'm actually looking at the pokes and looking at Rodarius Williams. He's greedy's brother. He's six foot buck 95 twitched up corner, really good size instincts, blanket coverage there on the outside. Rarely seems to be out of phase. Um, he's a guy to me, the, the ball skills, uh, just a knack for timing his jumps really well. Does a really good job, kind of pinning guys to the sideline and really keep you know maintaining that inside leverage. Uh, to me, I, I look at Rodarius Williams. I think that he's a guy he could come off the board earlier, but I think there's so many corners in this draft that you could get a guy to fall. I think Rodarius could potentially be there at 64, and if you get him, he could be a guy opposite you know. Uh, Carlton Davis, he could end up being your number one corner when it's all said and done. Let him go up against the number ones and, and allow you know Carlton Davis to take on some uh, some of the bigger physical guys that I think he'd probably be better as a press corner. Yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting. It, I, I will say this, and I'll, I'll give the Grave Diggers their due because you know I was down on them a lot this season, 
I've seen them get burnt so many times, but I, I remember after that, after Tyree kill and what he did, man, you were, you weren't sure what was going to happen with that group. So exactly. And when I look at that group, I will give them their credit because they actually got better as the season progressed in the playoffs. Last half better. of that season, man. Whew. But, but I think a lot of that too was on bowls because you get a guy like you just said with Darius Williams, and, and, and it's funny you said that because CBS actually has him on their mic going to us as well in the third round, I believe. But if you can play one-on-one, if you can stay in front of guys, that gives your front seven, like, the ability to get to the quarterback. Like, I can blitz you all day because I know that your guys aren't easily going to get past who I have in the secondary. All right? Now, Darrell Revis isn't walking through that door. Okay, and I'm talking early Darrell Revis, not washed up Darrell Revis. Revis Island, uh, n- not the Revis we got. Okay, <laughs> so, so <laughs> he's not walking through that door. So my thing is, if you feel confident in these young guys to continue to build confidence and get better, then yeah, you can take the chance on some of these uh, cornerbacks coming in and providing depth. If you are, if you think Whitehead, uh. uh Murphy Bunting, Carlton Davis, and Antoine Wilf- Winfield are your secondary of the future, then invest in them and go with it. But you're going to have to live with that decision. So if that's not the case, if you feel like we're going to have to play zone, we're going to have to do this, this, and that, you go after guys like this who can potentially replace who you have. And, and that's the way I have to look at it. So you already know how I felt about Greedy Williams last year. I was actually mad we didn't get him. Um, not to say his little brother is is him at all, but, you know, if if it's that type of pedigree, I definitely like that pick. I mean, and it's interesting. There, there are people that, you know, out in the in the draft community that are all over the place with, with Rodarius. I've heard some people say that he's a potential potential first rounder. I've seen people talk about him, like you said, with CBS, possibly, you know, in round number three. I'm kind of in between. I think he's one of those guys to where he has the talent to be a first rounder because he's a lockdown. And th- that, that was the thing. You know, AJ Green, you know, made it put up a lot better stats last year. And then even this year, you know, you just, you didn't want to throw number eight's way. He was always the guy that was locking down his man and you just, you didn't want to throw his way because he was going to make it virtually impossible for a quarterback to get the ball in there. Um, So I'm kind of in between, I think round two makes a lot of sense there. Um, You know, but I think the thing that I've been trying to figure out and I'll be curious to get your thoughts on this is that that edge rush position. Cause we did see in the playoffs and especially in the Super Bowl, we saw what, what both JPP and Shaq Barrett did to, to Patrick Mahomes really made his life miserable. And, you know, I don't care who you are, a quarterback, if you're running for your life like that, there, you know, he made some crazy throws, almost completed some insane passes. Um, but at the end of the day, he's running for his life. And it's because of that pass rush. So, You've got Barrett, you know, likely coming back, get, getting re-signed. JPP, another banner year, what, another eight, nine sacks, you know, to his credit. Um, but he's 32 years of age. How much longer can, can JPP do that? I mean, not even a, you know, a firecracker explosion in his hand was going to take away this dude's production. Um, so not taking that away, you know, you could potentially still potentially bring him back after this season. But again, 32 years of age in the last last year of his deal, I don't see any real depth behind those two guys. At what point do you look in free agency for an edge rusher? Do you look to the draft sometime on day three, try to find a diamond in the rough? Where where do you go from an edge rush perspective? 
it's it's crazy that you brought him up because as I'm looking at our depth and everything else, that's where we actually have the least depth. Um, and the reason why I haven't put them so much higher on the depth chart as far as a position of need is because I honestly think we're going to get Shaq back. And I think if you have Shaq and you have JPP, okay, we can find some cushion or safety nets within the later part of the draft. Now, if you're looking at them being out of the door, this becomes a whole nother conversation. Um, I, I think believe, that man to be in your first round pick at that point. Exactly. If we don't get Shaq back, we already got JPP, but he's a, he's he's a, on his last year of his deal this year. But uh, no, if we don't get Shaq back, I I would honestly prefer to find a veteran to put in that position. Um, if he's going to be the, the lead edge rusher, go get a guy. But if, but if you can't find him in free agency, you go get him in the draft. And, and, and to be honest, I probably even try to trade up to get him if there's a guy out there. I haven't, I haven't really looked at the draft like you have this year, um, obviously because I'm still on the Super Bowl high. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if there's a guy out there that's worth going to go get, then you go get him. I, I will say this, though. To your point about JPP, everybody will not get paid next year. And we have to think about that. I know – for a fact, Chris Godwin is happy to be back, but probably not happy with that franchise tag. Right. So he's going to want to get paid next year. And if you believe in him and he goes out there and he shows everything that he has and plays out of his mind next year, you're going to have to pay him. Okay. And Mike Evans, it, the money's going to end up switching. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So if you have to pay that guy, you have some other guys to pay. JPP is going to be one of those casualty, you know, of, of the salary cap. So I do think we need depth at that position. I just don't know if they're, they're that high on my, um, you know, my, my draft needs. But um, it just all depends on what we do with Shaq. Yeah, and, you know, all signs are pointing right now to Shaq coming back, getting, getting paid, getting his deal, and coming back. Uh, and like you said, you know, if things change, then obviously that's going to change, completely change the game. You know, what was interesting was there are a lot of linebackers right in, in that – right around 32 would be great value guys like Nick Bolton out of, out of Missouri, uh, Jamin Davis out of, out of Kentucky, uh, even Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa possibly fall to, to 32 would have been really nice linebackers to play with, with Devin white on the inside, but because Levante David wants to come back, that takes care of one of your, your key needs. And that's really, if you looked at a lot of the mock drafts, they had you guys taking a linebacker in round one, getting yeah. Levante David back, really takes care of that piece and you don't have to worry about it. And that's why I'm looking, you know, the end and, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I, if Barrett comes back, I think there are other positions of need that are, you know, really of greater need. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could potentially corner looking at, at that because there is a deep draft from a corner perspective, you might be able to wait until the third or fourth round to get another corner, but you know, to get an impact corner that could challenge Jamel Dean for that starting job. I think, they, you know, round two might be, but it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because I, I'll have to take a look a little bit further in terms of possibly finding somebody that could come off the board in, in round two. And if not, you're looking at round three, a guy like Quincy Roche out of, out of uh, Miami really right now is he's kind of an undersized guy at, at defensive end, six four, two thirty five. Um, kind of a lanky guy, and he gets engulfed a lot of times by those offensive linemen that get their hands on him. But you yeah. want to talk about speed, you let him play in space coming off the edge. 
that's really where he could be a situational guy and potentially, you know, slide into a starting spot if and when JPP decides to move on. You know, but I'm also looking at third round and that tackle position, like you said. You know, there's a guy out of northern Iowa who looks like this year's Makai Becton. You know, mm. his name is Spencer Brown. He's six, six, eight, three twenty-one. And he looks, he, he looks mean. He's just throwing guys out of the club. I mean, just, you know, one of those guys is going to grab onto you and just chuck you and, yep. and throw you all over the place. Good feet. You know, and, and he, for a guy his size, he's got those real long arms. He's benching 500 pounds at six, eight, you know, these in, insanely long arms. He's putting up that weight, you know, for, for a guy that big, I thought that was pretty impressive. So I'm looking at him as well as a potential guy, you know, in, in round three, get an offensive tackle to potentially take over for Donovan Smith. Donovan Smith can be your one-year stopgap. Let him get acclimated to the level of competition and then jump in there uh, as a starter in 2022. Obviously, you don't want to have a rookie starting and protecting Brady's blindside. Um, but I think you could bring in a guy, develop, let him learn from some of the veterans and uh, potentially be that, be that guy. And that's the biggest thing. No, no matter what we do, just let these guys come in with no pressure, develop, and become the best version of themselves that they can be. Because what's going to end up happening, I knock on wood, but it happens every year. Somebody's going to get hurt. And when that happens, you have to get plugged in, have that opportunity to show what you can do. But the only thing is you're getting plugged into a situation where it's Super Bowl or bust. So any of these guys that we bring in, just let them develop as much as they can, but know that at any point in time, be ready. I'll also say this. One thing I like to do, Greg, I like to kind of get into the minds of our GMs. Like when we're a sports fan, um, I'm big on watching interviews with Sam uh, Sam Presti at Oklahoma City Thunder, no matter how boring they are. I just like to, you know, get into the minds, listen to what they're saying. I watched an interview with Jason Light today. Um uh, for, for, for Buccaneer news, you know, he was, he was doing the whole interview and they were talking about the draft. And the one thing that he said that really hit a light bulb with me, because if you think about some of the guys we drafted, it stands true or even in free agency, he said this particular version of our team, he's looking for guys that are aggressive. So if the guys coming in are nasty, aggressive, these are the guys that you want in an alley fight, those are the guys we want on our squad right now. That hasn't always been the case. You know, we, we've had guys that were good athletes. We've had guys that um, had a lot of talent but didn't have that mean streak. And if you see what he's done, we're bringing in guys like Indominus Sue and JPP and Shaq and, you know, Devin White, who is the ultimate bully. All right. I'm just going to call him that because that's exactly what he is. He has not let up on the Kansas City Chiefs since we have beat them. If you're watching every one of his interviews, oh, I knew he was going to win. I knew they were going to do that. It was stupid. You know, he's been talking so much trash, but I love it because he reminds me of the linebacker version of a Warren Sapp. So exactly right. All of that. Antoine Winfield. All of that. Like like he is looking for guys that are going to come in and say, I am a BMF. And I'm going to prove it on this field. So any of the guys that you're looking at or possibly bringing in, that's Jason Light's mindset of the, the, the depth that he wants on this team. So it's interesting that you say that, you know, and, and guys that are aggressive, because we were talking about the interior of the line. And that's one of the conversations you and I have had uh, quite often is addressing the interior of that line. There's a guy. Yeah. And this is what's funny, too, is um, there's there's a guy in, in Division three, Wisconsin Whitewater. 
So, you know, you guys are, are not unfamiliar with drafting a, uh, an old lineman from a division three school in Ali Marpet. You know, and he was number 61 overall. I'm looking at Quinn, Quinn Miners is his name. So he's 6'3", 320 pounds. And this dude, you want to talk about a guy that's nasty. This is exactly the guy. And I think he's worked his way up to where he may not be on the board when you guys are drafting at, at 64, but he's a guy to me, I could see Tampa, especially with what you're d- describing, potentially trading up to get this guy. So here's, you, you put on the film and really you kind of just kick back with a drink and just enjoy wa- watching this guy. Cause he's quick out of his stance. And then he turns the, you know, especially pulling, he was pulling quite often and he pull in a hurry, locate that defender on the move. And then he would just make him pay just drilling guys in spectacular fashion, throwing them, throwing them, throwing them aside and just running guys over. And he held his own more than held his own at the, at the senior bowl, Sit, sitting there in the middle and he was a guard, but it looks like he can also play center as well. Did a lot of that. You know, he was standing up guys like Marvin Wilson, a guy who was a former first round, you know, lock at Florida state, standing guys up, holding his ground, getting physical with guys. And then he shows up at his pro day and runs a four, eight, six with a one, seven, one, 10 yard split, which is really quick. And then a 32 inch vertical leap at six, three and 320 pounds. I'm looking at Quinn Miners, and I'm like, dude, this is exactly what, Todd Light is talking about. So it's, uh, I'm sorry, Jason Light. Todd Light played for the Rams. But, uh, you know, Jason Light, it sounds like it'd be a great fit if he's available. And it's like, does, you know, Jason Light look to trade up for a guard center? Or do you stay put and potentially look at getting, you know, there's a guy out out of Ohio State. Josh Myers could potentially be there in round three. Um, I, I, you know, there's a guy out of Georgia, Trey Hill, um, a center could potentially be there in round five. You know, that's really the, the, some of the things I'm trying to figure out is, is do you go after some of those aggressive guys now and potentially look for some depth at that corner position or depth at the edge rusher and really solidify that offensive line, get those, you know, th- those, those aggressive, those dogs, as you know, as, as you were calling them and the guys that are going to get that, get physical and get some of those other guys, the splash players later on, or do you go bless, best player available get the corner, get maybe an edge rusher, and then find the O-line later. Yeah. And I'll also say that, um, you know, with this particular team, you you do want to have that depth, but then you also got to think about some of the guys that are coming back and if you would need to replace them as well. I don't know how much longer Gronk has. I think he's just playing for fun right now. Uh, I, I don't think he'll, he'll, he'll cost a lot of money because he's just, hey, I like living in Tampa, baby. I like playing with Tom. I'm here. Give him the veteran yeah. minimum and just let him yeah. go. I, I think Gronk is just having the time of his life right now. And uh, I don't know. I, I didn't look at Brate's uh, contract situation, but uh, I don't know how much longer he has left. And then you have O.J. Howard in the last year of his deal on a prove-it deal. He can't stay healthy to save his life. And, and I hate it because I love O.J. And I think he brings so much to the table. But when you got these guys coming back, I also look at a position like tight end where you may want to look later, later in the draft to say, okay, how do we, how do we manage this? Um, you know, we may be losing uh, w- one of our other guys at our fourth uh, tight end position, uh, Al Claire, I believe that is. But we just have to look at these guys to say, okay, if we got all of our needs solidified through the first three or four rounds, then do we look at guys that may be in and out and do we try to find their predecessor after that? So looking at Brait, he's in, in year four uh, of a six-year deal, uh, 30, 30 years of age. 
Um, you know, a guy that, uh, you know, looking at things now, you know, 6.2 million, you know, cap hit right now. Um, no dead cap or anything like that for, from here on out. Um, so, but he's, he's sitting there, looks, looks pretty good for the next few years with, with Brait. Um, like you said, I, I think Gronk as well. Uh, the tight end position is kind of tricky with, with the draft. Here's, you know, the, the thing that's going to be interesting is, is you've got some guys in free agency, not the top guys, uh, but there's still going to be some guys in free agency that they could potentially look at. You know, the question is going to be, um, can OJ Howard stay healthy? And, and that's the part that I wonder is, is do they take another year, say, okay, we've got, we've got Gronk, which we know probably play half the season and be ready for the playoffs. Um, we've got Bray, and then potentially you've got Howard, if he can stay healthy, do you roll with what you got? Because, you know, when healthy OJ Howard can play, it's just, can he stay healthy? Or do you move on, on a tight end? To me, I, I think you, you're probably looking later on in the draft. The issue is, is that you're probably getting a guy who's more of a developmental tight end than you are. You know, I, I just, I don't see uh, Jason Light looking in the top three, four rounds of the draft. And that's where I think the, it's so top heavy at that tight end position. You get towards the, the middle rounds and that's a group that I just, I don't see guys that excite me to where mm-hmm. I'd say, all right, maybe you get a guy in the sixth or seventh round, just, you know, Hey, that's my final pick. I need a tight end. We'll bring him in see if we can develop them. I just, I, there, there aren't any guys that really excite me so much, you know? So that, that's the thing. I, I think you've got enough, I wouldn't say needs, but enough areas to where you could, you, you could go in the draft and say, all right, we can hold off on the tight end position. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting. And the reason I even brought them up, um, say we feel all of our positions in need, but you and I both know Tom Brady is going to play it safe. Most times he's got to have a tight end. He's got to have a running back that can catch the ball. Two tight ends. Exactly. So maybe, maybe not in the draft. Maybe that does come in free agency, but I, I just think about, okay, we've got all the pieces that we need. We have all of the depth that we've uh, looked for within the draft. What other positions do we try to solidify more at that point? You know, the uh, running so, back so – oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, you, you brought up running back and a guy that can catch the football out of the backfield. So you've got Ronald Jones uh, and, and you have Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, you know, Shady McCoy, I think, you know, it's fair to say that that didn't work out. He's not coming back. Um I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I think Shady was just a luxury. Um, <laughs> if anything happened to any of our other running backs, we were probably going to use him. I love Shady, but I agree. He's probably not coming back unless he just wants to, you know, be a part of the group and, and one of the guys. But, yeah, I think Shady can can still do something for some team. Uh, well, no, I, 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 I wouldn't doubt that. You know, I, I just think in terms of you've got a full house backfield there already, and yeah. for him, just trying to find the way because you had that one-two punch with with Rojo and and Fournette. Yeah. But with Fournette, you know, you and I had talked about this previously. For, Fournette's a guy to me. I, I can see him because he proved his worth. You he's know, and here. I think he's gone. Yeah. So then the question then becomes: Do you look for a guy in free agency? We just saw Mark Ingram uh, sign a one-year deal with Houston. You know that that David Johnson's going to get hurt at some point. That's just you know his mo the, these days. So Ingram, I think, is going to get some some load there. You know some some of that workload. Looking at Rojo, you know, at what point you, do you go running back 
say like in the fourth round? Um, or do you take a guy in, in free agency? Cause you already drafted Keyshawn Vaughn last year. You brought in Fournette and McCoy in free agency this last year seemed to work out for you. Do you go back to that? Well, or do you try to bring in another young guy who can catch the football out of the backfield? I think you do both. And, and this is what I mean by that one. I think Fournette is gone. Um, I love playoff Lenny. I love what he did for us. I'm glad they gave him that opportunity because for a while he was just looking like a supplement piece where he, you know, if Rojo's not catching the ball the game, put Leonard in the game, but they gave him the opportunity to shine. I also think he has a little diva in him, meaning, you know, he wants his money. He wants the, the starting job. He wants to be the bell cow, all of that. And I think some team's going to get that to him, but unfortunately we have too many people to pay. So unless Lenny's going to come back at, uh, you know, less than market discount. value discount, I think he's out of here and he deserves it. He deserves the money, all of that. Okay, go get it. So I think what you do is you have to replace him and then you probably will also have to replace Shady. So what that would do for me as a GM, I'm saying if I'm replacing Leonard Fournette, I'm replacing him with a veteran. Okay. I don't care if it's Adrian Peterson. I don't care if it's a guy that, you know, has a little bit left in the tank, go, go get him. And then I'm having a conversation with Rojo, like, listen, you lost your job at the end of the season because you dropped a couple passes because you got hurt, all of that. But I'm giving you this opportunity to show you are who we think you are. You are, you are, are you are, you are our feature back. And then I'm going to draft a veteran to not only put the pressure on them, but to be there as a safety net, just in case something happens. And then from Shady's standpoint, I'm replacing him with whoever we take in this draft because now you have Keyshawn Vaughn, who's a year older. Um, he knows he dropped some passes and fumbled in the playoffs, and that's when he sat down. We didn't see him anymore. But you give him that opportunity to say, okay, you can fight for the secondary running back job, but then I'm also bringing in a young guy that can challenge him and also challenge for that spot as well as a project. Um, but so I, I, I'm thinking I'm need, I need a veteran and I need to draft a running back. But later, later, later down the line, because to me, I think that we're pretty much okay at that position with Rojo. So it's interesting that, that you're talking about that because a lot of mock, there are a lot of mock drafts out there uh, right now. And you know, if you if you go and, and hit up the draft draft Twitter, uh, I'm sorry, draft Twitter community, um, yeah, I, I think you see a lot of people, a lot of talk about. Uh, like Javante Williams is a name that I hear time and time again out of uh, North Carolina, three down back, he, you know, he's 5'10", 220, physical guy, has some speed, catches the football out of the backfield, but they have him coming off the board to Tampa in the first two rounds, whether it's round one, round two, I've got him actually coming off the board in round two to, to the Cardinals. I think it makes sense to bring him in um, as a guy, you know, if, if Kenyon Drake's going to be your, your one. And I think, Drake's actually a, a free agent. You need to shore up that running back position. And I think it would fit well for, for the Cardinals. I just don't see Tampa targeting a running back that early. I mean, it just, it, that, that to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't either because anybody that's going to actually play running back in this system with Tom Brady, whether they're the one or the two, they're going to have to shine in pressure moments when it, when, 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 Tom is getting blitzed and he needs to find that running back out of the backfield. They need to catch the ball. They need to not be so much in the moment that it's too big for them. So I think you, you need a veteran at that position. So I don't necessarily think they would take one in the second round, especially when you got offensive line, defensive line needs and all of that. I'm sure this guy, Javante Williams is, is pretty good, 
But for me, you need a vet. Yeah. And I, I think I'm looking at, at some of the guys like on, on day three, there, there's a guy out of Mississippi state. His name's Kylan Hill. He's 5'11, 210. Um, and what's interesting about him, what I like is in 2019, he was the bell cow for, for the Bulldogs there at Mississippi state over 1300 yards on the ground. And then Mike Leach comes in, brings his air raid, and suddenly he has to kind of change up his game. So here's a guy that was, look, you know, he was the physical runner, you know, 5.6 yards per carry, a guy that was running out of the backfield. And then Mike Leach, like I said, he comes in and through three games, because he only got to play three games due to an injury, 23 catches in, in those three games there in Mike Leach's style of offense. To me, he's one of those guys, he, he might be a little bit bigger uh, of a running back can be a little bit more durable, but a guy that has some really nice hands coming out of the backfield. Um, you know, I look at Chuba Hubbard potentially in, in round five. Um, I, I talked to Brett Peters last no, no, week. I would love to get Chuba. And he loves Chuba, but he thinks Chuba yeah. is more of a, a first, second round guy. Yeah. I just don't see that out of Chuba just because I think, you know, I, the, the, the contact, you know, he, he doesn't make guys miss a lot of times in the open field or in the open field. He does. Cause he's at a full head of steam, head, full head of steam. But if you get him between the tackles, ask him to make somebody miss in the hole, he can't do it. You give him a crease, let him go. And he'll be that, that versatile guy out on the, on the outside. So he may be another guy potentially in round five that I could see them going after and targeting because he does have good hands. He caught 45 passes in his first two years there with the Cowboys battled injuries this year. I just, I, I don't know. You know. He might fit in well with Tampa because he, that's exactly what they'll be asking him to do. Make plays in space and not be a guy that you're necessarily going to hand the ball off and say, look, give me four or five yards between the tackle, make a guy miss in the hole. I just don't think that he's that guy. And I think yeah. that's why you could probably get him on day three. So those are two guys I'm kind of looking at for, uh, for the bucks and, why I said Kylan Hill first is what I just love about him is he can change. He changed his game up completely from being a guy in Joe Moorhead's offense, getting a ton of carries and being that bell cow to now I got to be, you know, showcase my hands in this, in this passing attack. And he was able to, to make that transition flawlessly. So now I'm going to be a guy catching the football out of the backfield. I made 23 catches, 10.3 yards per catch, you know, to his credit as well. And so that versatility, I mean, that really speaks volumes for me. And so those are the two guys, I think day three, early day three, either that fourth, fifth round range kind of feels like that's probably where if Tampa's going to get a running back, those would be two guys that I would target. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it'll be very interesting to see which direction we go. Cause like I told you in the beginning, it's the rich getting richer, man. Um, I think, I think this will probably be the most, least stressful draft that Jason like has ever experienced. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. Are they, are, are they doing the draft? I haven't even paid attention to it. Greg, have they been, are they doing the draft at actual location this year? Or are they doing it like they did last year virtually? They're allowing them in the draft room this year. Even if they're allowing them in the draft room, I would not be surprised if I saw Jason light and Bruce Arians with like Hawaiian shirts on and flip flops kick back with drinks in their hand. <laughs> In the, in the draft rooms, they're like, whatever, dude, we'll take who we can get. Um, well, Bruce, it, uh, I mean, Bruce last year, I mean, dude was hanging out on his patio. Yeah, he was. And, yeah, he and, was. and enjoying himself. And he, he, he looked so cool. He looked so cool. It was crazy. Um, now, his house wasn't as as, uh, 
as impressive as Sean Kingsbury's house was. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> you know, it was crazy. I saw that, and I thought to myself, "That's out here." <laughs> like he when I that, saw his, he had that fire pit going in the middle of of the it, afternoon. I'm like, "What is going on?" Yeah, he did. Like when I saw his house, Greg, I said, "That's out here." Let me find this neighborhood that he lives in. I just want to drive by it. Um, but but yeah, so so I think this would be the least stressful draft for us. But knowing Jason Light, I think him and his staff are going to do their due diligence and, and really trying to find those diamonds in the rough because they've done a great job at doing that the past couple of years. Absolutely. Any other draft notes that you have before we before we wrap things up? What uh, else are you looking at? No, I think that's about it. Um, just, you know, trying to fill these needs, man. And I'm, I'm still on the Super Bowl high. Like, this still feels unreal to me. Um, and I know we have – I'm looking at it. We got seven picks this year. We have two seventh rounders, which I don't know if we'll keep. We might end up moving those. But I'm just happy to be here. I think what the audience doesn't necessarily know. So I get all of my draft knowledge from you um, every year, <laughs> every year when the draft comes around. And I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those guys that will sit with the draft on my TV for all three days just because I'm interested to see who these players are that come in because I, I do not pay attention to college football uh, as much as, as Greg does. So whenever we do draft somebody, I'm like, Greg, who is this? And he'll have to tell me whether it's good or not. And then I'll YouTube the videos and say, okay, this is what I see, you know? Uh, so I, I would just say that right now, man, you're going to continue to be my draft guru guy. I'm going to continue to come to you. Uh, I'm proud of the podcast. I know you do so much research uh, that it's incredible. Like you're kind of like Rain Man to me, you know, <laughs> with these guys and these kids coming in. So it's just an honor to be on the show. I'm glad you invited me. Appreciate it, Steve. Yeah, we'll and we'll we'll make sure on on draft day we'll be we'll be chatting back and forth, you know. And Definitely. I think you'll you'll probably be be kicking back with a, a nice drink in your hand watching watching the draft too. I think this is probably for you probably the least stressful. But I was doing cartwheels for you because Tristan Wirfs, Antoine Winfield were two of my favorite guys in the draft, and to see them go to your team. I was so happy for you because you got two guys that are going to be cornerstones of, of that team on both sides of the football. You told me that too. Like when we drafted these guys, I knew about Worfs because Worfs was actually projected to go like number four yeah. last year and, and they went in other directions. And when he fell to us, I was like, what is, is he injured? Like, is it something I don't know about? But nope. I think there were, but I think there was so much depth with that position that people were just choosing whoever their guy was. Um, but we obviously got the best guy, but Everybody else, you told me Winfield was a was a beast, and I said, okay, we'll see what happens. But as soon as I saw that kid play, I said, Greg was on it. He knew what he was talking about. He was five, and the, the thing with the two is, is, I think everybody was giving him such a hard time because he's only five ten. They're like, well, you know, is he going to be able to transition and start making plays at the next level? He plays bigger than his size. Rondé Barber was five ten. Yeah. So, so it, it, that that does not matter at all. Like, if you have that in you, you have it in you, no matter what. And, and, and that kid is going to keep getting better is what's crazy about it. And he already, the, the thing that I just want to see going forward, that's amazing to me right now. These kids already have rings, Greg. Yep. So what that does to their confidence, it's going to keep going up, up and up and up. Well, and, yep. and, you know, thank you for coming on too, because this gives me more insight. And that's really why I wanted to start doing things from a fan's perspective and having some of these conversations, because, you know your team intimately, even more so than, than I do. So understanding what where everything is, you know, it feels like I'm on the right path in terms of really identifying 
some of the positions of need, but the fact that you're talking about, okay, these aggressive guys, you know, I, I feel like there are some guys that I really want to see in a Tampa Bay uniform, guys like Boogie Basham, guys like Rodarius Williams. If you could somehow figure out a way to also get Quinn Miners and Spencer Brown for your offensive line, I mean, that would be ridiculous. And I think you'd hit, you know, in, in so many ways. If Rodarius falls to round three, you know, you could potentially look at, all right, let's move up, get, get Quinn uh, on the interior. Round three, either Rodarius or a corner. And then Spencer Brown is one of those guys. He's kind of that tweener third, fourth round. You could potentially snatch him up in round four. Then you've got guys that really fit that mold. And so I'll be curious to see exactly how, how it all plays out come draft day. But uh, the aggressiveness, that really helps me now target guys that are specifically for Tampa. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. No problem. Hey, my only request is I, I think it would be the funniest episode you probably have will ever have in life. You need to grab a Cowboys fan and have this same conversation <laughs> with them. I, you know what? I think we're, we're going to have to do that. Well, because here's the thing. Before we before we sign off, Cowboys, because I know, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, intimately familiar with the Cowboys as well, because everybody around in, in Oklahoma is a Cowboys fan. You know, I'm looking at it. You know, everybody, you know, there's a corner. Makes perfect sense. You get a guy like Patrick Sertan, a team with his teammate, you know, from, from Bama in, in uh, Trevon Diggs, um, has the bloodlines, Patrick Sertan's son. Um, but then you look at that offensive line, Tyron Smith, um, you know, guy can't stay healthy anymore, has the neck, in, you know, neck surgery now. Um, you've got Lyle Collins, so many injuries across that front. You know, it looks great on paper, but a guy like Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern, you draft him, he's got five position versatility. He, you know, plug him into whatever position is going to get injured first and kind of let him be that, that roamer and, and shuffle through. But you have that position of need at corner. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what Dallas does there. You know, you kind of handcuffed yourself a little bit with linebackers with Jalen Smith and, and, and Leighton Vander Esch, you know, hey, you go um, with another linebacker early. I, I don't know. I mean, I'll they're, say, they're I, in trouble. I'll say this, that they have to do everything in the draft because they don't have any money left. They gave it all the deck. <laughs> they gave it all the deck. Yeah, so, so yeah, it's all it's draft or bust for the Cowboys. I, I would agree. So I think what we'll do, you know, I may even end up having a, a roundtable session or something like that as we get closer to the draft, get a few fans in there and uh, see if we can talk, you know, hash some of this stuff out. So, um, you know, see if I can have you on again as we get closer to the draft or possibly even chat it up after the draft, see what, uh, you know, what, what we think of how, how Jason Light and, and company did after the draft as well. Yeah, and just let me know, and that'll be an interesting uh, convo as well because we'll have a clearer view of what everybody's doing, you know, post-free agency. Sounds like a plan. Well, Steve, always a pleasure, man. Good to talk to you, and uh, we'll, we'll chat soon. All right, Greg, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Take care. All right. My thanks once again to Steve Jackson, and it sounds like we're on the same page. Address both the offensive and defensive lines. Get some help there in the secondary as well. Make sure that you get everything tied up in free agency. You've already got Chris Godwin under contract with the franchise tag. You've got Levante David under contract. Sounds like Shaq Barrett's contract is coming. So really, once you have all of that solidified, then you'll be able to really take a look at what you have and which direction you're going to go. Should we draft an offensive lineman, should we get one in the draft? I think you're going to see a combination of both. I think the same thing for, for the upfront on the defensive line, especially if Ndamukong Sue is not brought back because 
You also have William Golston in the final year of his contract. So I think a lot still to play out for Tampa Bay, but I think they're in a much better situation than a lot of other franchises out there. And to Steve's point, a lot of times it's it's kind of the rich getting richer. Um, so it's really going to be exciting to see what Bruce Arians, Jason Light, and company do in Tampa Bay. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up this podcast. Next podcast, we're going to take a look at the wide receiver position. And I think when you look at the receivers, you have three clearly... Uh, established top receivers in Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddell. What happens with that second tier? Will Rashad Bateman, Kadarius Toney, Terrace Marshall come off the board in round one? Do they fall to round two? There's a lot of depth at the receiver position, a lot of guys to cover. So please stay tuned. In a few days, I'll have that podcast released. We'll take a look at all things wide receiver. But until then... This has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your week, and I am out of here.